Acts chapter 5 is where we're going today. Verses 17, uh, kind of toward the end we're going. We've been following the early church. Now, I want to define again, when we say the early church, sometimes we kind of picture this, right? The building, the gathering, but it was much more than that. It was the early believers, because we are the church around the world. We, we come together, we gather in local bodies, but we were, we were created to be the church, honoring and representing Christ no matter where we are. That always gives me such great um, feeling to know that around the world today, people are praising the name of Jesus right along with us. But we're following this early group of believers that come through the time of witnessing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the powerful outpouring of his spirit at Pentecost, and, and now the fulfilling of his will. Go, go and tell others. Go and make disciples. And, and by doing that, they're, they're running into the current of the culture of their day. They're running into the current of the religious culture that actually began to persecute them because of their faith and their understanding of the power that is found through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Earlier we looked at the miracle at the gate called Beautiful where they performed the, the, the healing of the lame man. And uh, it brought this threats from the religious establishment. There was a, an edict saying, hey, stop doing that. Don't, don't go there. But they continued on because their, their mission was higher than man's mission. It was to tell everyone about this new life in Christ. Now, last week, we talked about the couple people that didn't do so well, and I'm glad you all came back this Sunday, because it's kind of weird to go to church and you read about God killing people, but Ananias and Sapphira were two individuals who decided they were more, they were more concerned about the praise of man than the praise of God, and they did something that was so wrong in this early church that God set a precedent of saying, if this church is going to have impact in the world, it cannot be represented with hypocrisy. And because of that, their lives were, were taken. And because, again, they were, they were trying to lie to the Holy Spirit to make themselves look better. But today we go beyond that, and we come into a place where really we're going to see the first kind of message from heaven to the disciples saying, you're on the right track. You're doing what I've called you to do. But with that, we're going to see persecution arise again today. So pick it up in verse 13, actually. Go back a little bit. Following the incident with Ananias and Sapphira, it has one of those kind of uh, moments in Scripture where you go, yeah, no kidding. Verse 13 says, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. In other words, the people are like, okay, stay back from the apostles because people have died around them, okay? So there's this little pushback, but yet nevertheless... More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We talked how last week that fear and worship go together, not fear of man, but this awe and understanding of who our God is leads us into his presence because he's not a man or a woman like us. He's our holy God. And as a result, verse 15, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Now, real quick, there was nothing super spiritual about Peter's shadow. So again, we're, we talk a lot about the gifts of the Spirit. You don't have the gift of the shadow, okay? So <laughs> we, we kind of get off on that. But what was happening was, again, people were so enamored with what was taking place. Their hope was in God, but they were also looking at these men who were up there preaching, and they, they wanted to be near them. Crowds gathered, verse 16, also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So here we see this advance, right? I mean, it's going good. People's lives are being changed. It's, it's like what we're seeing even around us. There, there, there's marriages being healed. There's, there's lives being changed. There's minds being changed. Because again, people are coming into the knowledge and the presence of our holy God. But out of that, they were working in this power of the Holy Spirit that is made available to you and I today. 
Because we got to remember again that what God was doing in that moment wasn't just for that moment. It was He was beginning something that you and I are carrying out today because we have the same commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples. And we have the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit. But as they were doing so, they ran into the religious establishment again. Look at verse 17. The high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. What was taking place again was, here's the religious establishment. They had turned this faith in a holy God into an enterprise for them to gain wealth and status and power. There's nothing more scary than religious enterprise. Because it doesn't care about people, it cares about a few. And Christ came to not reform that, he came to blow it up. He came to, to put in order this new relationship that's found out of love and generosity that we get to walk in today. So they were jealous of the early church. They were, they were, they were, not, they were not willing to let them just continue on as they did, so they, they came and they arrested the apostles and put them in jail. Now you see, the new believers, they had faith. They had faith that no matter what happened, God was with them. They had faith in the Word of God. They didn't have the Bible like we have to where they can go and quote scriptures to each other except for the Old Testament, but they encouraged one another. Our God said He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He promised that. He said He'll go with us to the ends of the earth to carry out this commission. So they're walking in this relationship with God, and out of that they're experiencing the grace of God in every facet, even when they get arrested and put in jail. Verse 19, here's the miracle. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Underline new life, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible, because right here we are seeing really what the rest of, of the book of Acts hangs on and really what our lives hang on, that there's this new life that Christ has given us. And there's this new life that we are commissioned to go and tell others all about. Because again, it's not about a reformed life. It's about a life that's made whole and new by our faith in Jesus Christ. And this was the first time after the resurrection of Christ that really this edict had come from heaven. Here's your purpose. Here's your plan. Go and tell people about this new life. So the angel sends them back out. In verse 23, it says at daybreak, they enter the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked. The guards are standing at the doors. When we opened the doors, guess what? Nobody was inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Well, if they probably figure things out it's probably gonna lead to their death because they had failed in guarding the prisoners so here's this court assembled man they're ready to bring judgment down on the apostles we told you to stop doing this we told you to stop saying things in his name they're ready to they're ready to bore into them but when they when they go and say bring the prisoners in there's no prisoners because the angel had taken them and put them right back out preaching the word verse 25 then someone came and said look the men you put in the jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. And the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of, of this man's blood. Now, time out a second. If you threw somebody in jail 
and you're ready to bring them in to give testimony the next day, and you only find out that they're not in the jail, but they're out preaching again, do you not think your first question would be like, how'd y'all do that? Well, where'd you go? Well, what, what took place? But instead, their focus was, you're making us look bad. You're putting the blood of this man Jesus on our lives, and we're not going to let it continue any longer. You're, you're bringing this all on top of us. But Peter and the apostles replied, and this is so critical, we must obey God rather than human beings. Here's what they were saying. They said, look, we'll obey you guys. We'll, we'll follow the government. We'll come alongside, and we're, we're going to not let the crowd stone you, okay? We'll go back and stand before the Sanhedrin, but... When following the government directly contradicts following God, guess what, guys? We're going to follow God. That's what they were saying. They are like, look, we're going to follow your pattern. We're going to follow your rules. That's fine. But if it, if it comes that place where you tell us we can't do what God has called us to do, then we are following God and not you. Now, I know that over this last couple of years, we've had to kind of live this out, haven't we? And we've had to kind of walk in some things that necessarily we don't like sometimes, uh, like shutting down for a season or following mandates. But we also recognize none of that has kept us from worshiping God. Do we agree with that? None of that has kept us from being a witness unto him. In fact, it was common sense. It was uh, submitting to authorities for our community's good and also for our own good. It's kind of like building the building next door. There are things that I don't get. I don't understand why they had to had to you know, put certain systems in there, or I had to pay for this or that and the other. And I could sit back and say, you know what, government, I'm not working with you on this at all. And they're like, fine, you don't get a building then, because it has nothing to do with your worship of God. It's not a protest. It's a reality. There are things like you sit here this morning, there's a fire system in here. Maybe you don't know that, but if fire broke out, you'd be safe. Why? Because the authority of the government over us. And it amazes me that a lot of Christians during this season who claim the Bible is the source of their life and they live by every word, have failed to understand when it says submit to the authorities over us, that actually is a biblical concept, not man-made. That's a small, that's good, but thank you. <laughs> Jesus had to deal with, uh, with people that way. There was a command, honor your father and mother, but a bunch of the Pharisees said, oh, we found a way around that because we know somebody that disagrees with that. And Jesus said, you're, you're blowing hell wide open, you're going to go that path. And it amazes me that as, be, as believers in a community, in a place where we are to represent Christ, we let things like this separate us from worshiping God, although we're not prohibited from worshiping God. Are you following? I wonder. Because it seems like we would, we would rather align with leaders these days that thumb their nose at the government and say, you know what, we're just going to do whatever we want to do because after all, we're the church. But that's not what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. If the government ever tells me I can't preach the gospel, we are never allowed to gather again. We can't go out and witness. And I'm saying, throw me in jail now because you know what? I am preaching the word of God. I don't care what you say. Amen. That's where you make your stand. But if you make everything a religious thing, then nothing is a religious thing. If you make everything about your rights, then nothing is about your rights. And we have to understand this, guys, that we're going to be witnesses into this generation. Amen, Pastor. That was good. Thank you. Got that off my chest. You tell I'm a little tired of talking about this stuff? I am. I don't get it. Teach your kids to submit to authority, but oh no, we can't do that if the church has to wear a mask. Come on, people. What do you want them to learn? I better get back in the sermon. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. They're laying it right back at their feet. 
And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, from whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Do you see the anger? Do you see the jealousy? Do you see the, the power of religion against this fresh word from God, this, this new life being proclaimed? Here, people are having their lives changed, and the religious don't care. People are having their, their families restored, and the religious don't care. People are having their, their kids put on this place of, of knowing God personally, and the religious don't care. And hatred rises up. It begins to come to this whole new level of persecution. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talked about this triumphal procession that God uses of, of bringing us out in this world. He says it spreads an aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. This new life that the angel said, go and tell everybody about, produces this aroma. It's the aroma of Christ. And can I tell you, that's why not everybody's happy about the fact you're a believer. That's, that's why, because to some it's the smell of death. They recognize there is a God and you represent him and they don't want nothing to do with him so they want nothing to do with you. But others, it's the aroma of life that wherever you go, it, it brings that, that peace and that joy into people's lives who walk alongside you serving God. You see, here's our purpose, but it won't always be received. Throughout the book of Acts, I told you we're going to look at the description, what happened, but there are some things that are prescriptive. This is what we ought to do. And this is one of those. Guys, we've been called to tell people about this great new life. But to do so, we have to understand some things about it. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts out of this message this morning that will just help us find this place of finding the purpose in the miracle. So here's the lessons I take from this passage. I know it's a long passage. But the first thing I see is this. What, what was happening there, it's not about what they did, but it was who they were with. Sometimes... Especially, I think those of us who grew up in church and maybe the, the, the kids' church or Sunday school, Veggie Tales, whatever, we, we, kind of, we kind of put these apostles up as these superheroes, right? I mean, they're these superhuman beings. They have this special power. They probably wear a cape in some people's minds. And, and they just did things because, after all, they were the apostles. But the reality is, they were men and women just like us, but they've been with Jesus and they've been filled with his Holy Spirit. It wasn't what they did, it was who they were with that made a difference. It wasn't that they were these great orators or they were these, these great theologians. No, the reality was they'd spent time with Jesus. They knew this new life. Now they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they were called to go and speak of this new life. Here's something to understand. They were just as messed up as you and I. In fact, in many ways, more so. Oh, these are the same men in the same city that just a few chapters ago were reading where Peter's denying Christ to a servant girl and cursing his name and wanting nothing to do with him. But now we look at Peter and go, oh, look at this superhero. No, look at this man who was forgiven, was filled with the Holy Spirit and submitted his life to Christ to carry out the mission of God because that's what the Holy Spirit has given us for. It is the power of God for the people of God to carry out the mission of God. See, these men were changed when they received the power. And because of this, they're witnesses of, the new, of this new life. And in the same way, we need the same power to be witnesses of this new life because people still need to hear that Jesus is the hero of the story. He needs to hear that Jesus is the hero of my story and your story. 
Listen, I don't know about you, but I have no right to be forgiven. I have no claim on forgiveness. I have no right. I have no claim on heaven. There's no reason God should let me into heaven. There's nothing in me to be admired. I'm not a good guy, but I met a great God. That's our testimony. It's not about our goodness. That was the Pharisees. That was the religious leaders. Look at us. We're perfect. No, we're, we're, we're broken. We're messed up. But God is our healer. God is our deliverer. God is our strength. And because of that, we relain into him. Even when our strength is weak, his strength is strong. And now we're able to witness of this new life. Why? Because we've been forgiven in the name of Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see out of this. This is a great example of how God works for his purpose, his glory, and not our own. <clears throat> God stepped in and did a miracle. They were in jail. They were, they were, they were going to be held there. They're going to be tried. They probably would have lost their lives if God had not intervened. But I want you to see something about this miracle, and that is this. This miracle was not for them in order to give them a better life, because that's how we typically view miracles. God, we need a miracle so we can have a better life, or so someone we love can have a better life. And oh, can I tell you, I pray for miracles, don't you? I want to see God intervene in people's lives. I want to see my knees healed of cancer. I want to see God do these things. But can I tell you, the miracle we see here was not so they would have a better life. It was so that they could go out and keep teaching about this new life. It was to continue the purpose that God had created them for, and that is to be messengers of the gospel. I know people debate whether God does miracles still today. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we never stop believing. We never stop praying. And there's those moments where heaven kisses earth and we see the miracle here. But can I tell you, we are already walking in the miracle of God's grace. And we need to recognize that because, listen, I, I think it'd be cool. And maybe you'd be freaked out. But can you imagine an angel showing up at your house and saying, I've got a job for you. Let's go. You, you, might, you might follow them, right? You might believe that something cool is going to happen. But here's the deal. I don't need an angel to tell me to follow Christ. I don't need an angel to tell me to pick up my cross daily and follow him or to go out and preach the gospel. I already have the words of Jesus in my Bible that are very clear to me that I don't need a miracle or angel to make me energize that and say, okay, I'm going to engage and do what God's called me to do. Listen, gang, the miracle was for the purpose of the gospel. And the purpose of the gospel is to get a new life, not an improved life. A new life, not a better life. Listen, the angel didn't tell them to go out and tell the people how to live differently. Hey, y'all better clean up your act. God's mad at you. They didn't go out and tell the people like, hey, go tell them to adopt this new moral code and start treating their wives better or to a new way of thinking. No, it was a whole new life. Can I tell you that God's not interested in an improved you? Let me hang for a sec. God's not interested in an, in an improved you. That's religion. Go clean yourself up. Stop cursing so much. Treat your dog and kids better. And then God will love you. How many times over the years, talking to people in the community, they say, oh, pastor, I, I'll come to your church, but i got to clean some things up first. Why? Why? You can't clean them up. He's not looking for an improved you. He's not looking for a better you. He is looking for you that has a whole new life that he can work through and speak through so that others may know that he is our God and we worship this great God. So notice, he, he, he called him to a new life, not a new religion. Listen, their message was not promoting this new religion. 
It wasn't saying, okay, you can check Judaism or Christianity when they ask you what your faith is. It wasn't a matter of identifying with a faith. It was identifying with a Savior. That's why they said, the God of our ancestors raised Christ from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. And God exalted him to the right hand as Prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Christianity is not a modification of any other religion. It's not an improvement on Judaism. It's a whole new life. And receiving Christ is all about taking your life and giving it to him. And receiving his life in return. It's letting go. It's letting go of our old life and taking hold of this new life where we find power and guidance from the Holy Spirit of God who now dwells in us as we remain in Him, as we walk in obedience to God's Word. So He didn't tell them to go and promote a new religion. Neither did He tell them to go and promote a new ideology. You need to change the way you're thinking. You need to change the way you look at your job, the way you look at your marriage, the way you look at everything else. That wasn't what He was saying. Neither did He go and say, hey, tell them about a new morality. Start living a better life. Go and purify themselves. Listen, gang, I'm so glad that we don't serve a God who our relationship with him is based on a good day or bad day. I'm so glad that we don't serve a God whose relationship with him is whether or not we carried out a ritual or not perfectly. I'm so glad we serve a God who loved us enough to give us his one and only son to die on the cross for us, rise from the grave, fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, and say, now let me walk with you. Let me walk with you and show you the way of life because his power is what we need. Here's a definition for the gospel. I call it the great exchange. The gospel is this, that Christ exchanged his life for ours so we could exchange our life for his. He died for our sin. I don't have to do that. (laughs) The wages of sin are death, but I don't have to go to a cross. He went to the cross for me. I'm going to repent, receive forgiveness, so that as the Spirit can come and dwell in me. And that's why Jesus, when he said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, he meant for us to do this, walk with him. Come, die to our old self, and let the beauty of Christ shine through us. That's what the first church was based on. And that's what they were called to go and tell everybody about. And I have some good news for us here in this. I love this story, but there's some things you need to see in this. There's only two ways we can mess this up. Isn't that good news? I can mess a lot of things up. But there's only two ways we can really mess up the gospel. There's only two ways. I want to share them with you this morning. And the first is this, is to forget that we are saved to save others. To forget that we are saved to save others. This was the second time they've been arrested for teaching the gospel. They were in prison, released by the intervention of an angel. And what do we see? At daybreak the next morning, they're right back out there fulfilling their purpose so that others could be saved. You see, the angel didn't rescue them for their comfort. Hey, guys, come take a nap. Come, let me feed you. Come, let me go to a nicer place. In fact, let's go into the hills where there'll be no persecution. You can build a nice cave house and just stay there until Jesus comes back. No, he took them out there so they would advance the kingdom of God. He put them right back in the game knowing, listen, knowing they would suffer for it. We'll see at the end of the story here, they were flogged. That sounds so nice, doesn't it? It means they were beaten within an inch of their lives. Oh, and later, by the end of the story and it's all done, every one of them is going to be martyred for their faith. But God's miracle was not to bring them comfort, like, hey, let me put a bubble wrap around you. It was to take them and say, get back to the purpose I created you for, because you are saved to save 
others. Look, we tend to look at miracles that way. We tend to want God just to break in so that we can have a better life. But can I tell you, it's not a better life if our life is not impacting anybody else's life. You see, the key that opened your cell, your cell, when you were bound by sin, the key that opened up your cell is the same key that opens up everybody else's cell. But sin had us bound, but the grace of God found us through faith in Christ, and we've been set free. And because of that, the greatest miracle we will ever experience, the moment you put your faith in God, you experience it. It's the miracle of salvation. Greatest miracle. Yet sometimes we don't think it's enough. We think it's only personal. And if we think it's only personal, we miss the understanding that God saved us so that we would begin to be part of the salvation of others. We've been called to seek his purpose more than our pleasure. They ran right back into the temple. Why? Because there were souls on the line. There were people that needed to know the same God that they knew. And guys, the same calling is on us today. So we cannot forget we are saved to save others. In my house, my wife loves to watch movies. And I can tell certain movies. You know, you can tell movies by their sound or by your reaction or by their score, right? And the other day I walk in, I'm like, hmm. Titanic. Number one, because she's got tears going on. And two, Celine Dion in the background singing. And I'm just picturing on the bow of the boat. I'm like, Titanic. I watched that movie once because that was enough. But I, 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 I've always been fascinated by the Titanic. I mean, you think about this great maritime disaster. And there's some interesting facts about the Titanic that I think speak loudly into this today. And, you know, back April 15th, 1912, a little history lesson. 1,503 people died. 1,503 people died. 705 survivors. Originally, there was 48 lifeboats that were planned for the Titanic, but for the comfort of the passengers, they only put 20 on there. Every lifeboat had a capacity of 65 individuals. But the first lifeboat that was lowered, that was called lifeboat number one, had only 12 people in it. There were five first-class passengers and seven crewmen to serve them. It was called the millionaire lifeboat by the press who accused the passengers of cruelly leaving others to die. At the end of the day, there were 472 empty spaces on lifeboats that went unused in the middle of this disaster. But you know what the most important number was? One. There was one lifeboat, only one, that returned to the wreckage to see if they could save others. The rest rode away waiting to be picked up. Christian. We are not saved to row away into comfort and wait for Jesus to pick us up. We are called to go right back in. We're called to go right back in and see who we can lead to salvation. Oh, we don't save anybody, but we can point the way. We're not called to just come and live in our comfort and say, pick us up, Jesus. No, we are saved to save others. This group of men, they're released from jail. They go right back out to tell others of this new life. I, I've heard this uh, saying for a long time. I can't attribute it to anybody, but it says this. I fear for the salvation of anyone who does not fear for the salvation of someone. Have we forgotten we were saved from have we, have we misunderstood the forgiveness and, and the thought of eternity and the, the thought of grace and grace alone? You see, this call of the first church is the same call to us today. We've been saved so that others may experience the same salvation that God has given us so richly. Here's the second way we can mess up the gospel. We're going to wrap this up. And that is to forget that we need a Savior. To forget that we need a Savior. Last week, we talked about people playing church. 
doing the religious game, and it led to death. In the same way, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And one day, I'm going to stand before a holy God, and so are you. And you know what? I'll have no claim to heaven. <laughs> when they look at me and they say, why? Why should we let you in? I can't point to anything I've done, anything I've, I've ever claimed. All I can do is this. I say, all I know is this. I put my faith in Jesus. I gave him my life. I picked up his life. That's the only way that I'm welcomed into the presence of God. See, sin can't enter in. Sin can't be welcomed. It's not a be a, there will be no sin in heaven. And because of that, I don't deserve what he's done for me. And the only reason I get there is the fact that Christ gave his life for me. And in return, I gave my life to him. And I remain in him. And I walk with him. And he transforms everything about my life and your life. Listen, it's no longer our lives. It's his life. It's a new life. It's no longer my stuff, my future, my plans. It's his I'm called to manage that which belongs to him, and so are each one of us. We need a Savior. And if we haven't made this exchange, if we haven't understood this, if we've never come to that point of, of saying, God, I give my life up for yours, then I question our salvation. See, God has no need for our old life. Our old life is a bad witness. Our old life is, is bound by sin and destruction, and it continues to just cycle us in that destruction. But a new life that is found in him gives us hope. And it gives us peace and joy, and God has called us to that. Look, he's not calling us to be cleaned up. He has a whole new life that is found in faith, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, there are a lot of things we're going to see, guys, that are just descriptive. It's an amazing story of an amazing God. But there are some things in there that we have to take note. And we have to say, God, that's the pattern, isn't it? Lord, you saved them so they could tell others how to be saved. God, you saved them and you gave them a message, this new life. Not, not an old life cleaned up. Not a life that checks all the boxes. Not a life that has a gold star. I met, I met a lady at the pantry the other night. She said, I've had perfect attendance at my church for 65 years. Yeah, I about fell over. I'm like, oh, God, help us. Sometimes you need to go to the mountains. 65 years. And I thought of that. I said, God, how many people are going to stand at the throne and say, God, I have a perfect attendance at church at 65 years. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. Guys, God's wanting to do I think this is an amazing outflow of salvation in our generation in this culture right now. We're coming out of a period, I hope we're coming out of a period where fear is reign and where, where loneliness and all that's been out. I think we're so ripe for a move of God. But it's got to begin in the house of God. We've got to change our vision, our way of looking at things. And the best image I can give you is that one of the Titanic and say... Are you out in a lifeboat waiting for Jesus to pick you up? Or are you saying, where can I go and find some people who need saving? See, that's God's call on your life and mine. Oh, we're going to go forward next week. We're going to keep moving into this store. We're going to read about Steve and read about others. But I tell you, God is calling us. 
God is calling you today. There's a reason that he thought that it was a good idea for you to come and, and, and listen to this message today and sing these songs because we're going to pray. And, and I really feel like there's two prayers that God has given me for over us today. And the, and the first one is for that, for those of us who have been saved. Those who have been baptized, those who, who know our, that we are loving God and he's loving us and we're looking forward to heaven someday. But my prayer for us is that our heart would be pierced because others have not been saved. My prayer is that our heart would be pierced, that there'd be a reformation in the church of Jesus Christ in our day, in our culture. That's not about waging wars that don't matter. They're going out one by one, and impacting others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saying, follow me as I follow Christ. People walking through their neighborhoods, praying over houses instead of despising their neighbors. People going out and in, their, in their workplaces instead of trying to be obnoxiously Christian, just being Christian. Loving people like you love yourself. And living in such a way, they may ask you why you live the way you do, and you say, oh, let me tell you about the hope that's within me. It's in Jesus Christ. Because that's the greatest witness we have, isn't it? So my first prayer is simply that. It's for those who have been saved, that our hearts will be pierced, and know that we've been saved to save others. And for those who have yet to be saved, my prayer is today that you believe, you repent, and you receive the grace of our Lord. It's not about joining a church. It's not about cleaning up your act. It's not about changing. He'll change you. But it's about just saying, God, I need you. And if that's you today, let this day. Oh, it'd be really easy. Remember, I got saved on Halloween 2021. Never forget that one, right? But truly, if you've been saved, you never forget it either. Because there is an amazing, amazing moment where you recognize, I've taken this old life off. I've given it to him. And he's put his new life on me. So, Father, I pray today. God, in this disjointed sermon, God, this story that kind of goes all over the place, God, but it's so critical you put it in the Word for us to see. God, I pray today, God, that, Lord, all of us would be changed because the Word came to life in us this morning, Father. God, I pray first for those of us who have bowed the knee to you, God, who've surrendered our lives and said, Lord, I'm not my own any longer. I've been bought with the price of my Savior's blood. And Father, I exchange that for the new life you've given me, Father. God, I thank you for that. But Lord, in that I pray, God, remind us what we're saved for. God, yes, to commune with you. Yes, to know our great God. But yes, to walk in your purpose, oh God, that others may know you through us, God. So pierce our hearts. God, pierce our hearts. Father, let us not push against the power of your Holy Spirit. God, let us receive all that you have for us. God, let us embrace the gifts you've placed in us, oh God, that, Lord, you uniquely, Lord, designed us in so that, God, we would represent you to others, God, who would get it through our lives, God. Father, pierce our hearts. God, I pray this morning, God, for those who have yet to know. God, I pray this morning, God, that, Lord, God, they would agree with this prayer, Lord, that we thank you for bringing us to this point, God. God, that, Lord, you knew, God, we need this message, Father, and, Lord, you know we need you. So, God, today, thank you for your son dying on the cross for us. Thank you for exerting your power to raise him from the dead, Lord God, that gives us hope. And, God, I, I pray today, Lord, that we would not ask you to fix our lives. 
No. God, I pray today we would ask you to give us a new life, God. Lord, give me your life, Father. God, forgive me my sins. Lord, I repent before you. God, I receive your new life in me, God, today. And Lord, in so doing, God, Father, now I'm yours. God, I'm never the same. So, Father, I pray today, God, for anyone who would just take that position, God, of giving you their lives. God, overwhelm them today. God, with your grace, your mercy. God, in the beauty of forgiveness, Father. God, I pray this in Christ.